Anyone ever take a poll, a guess, why we're waiting to see, because we have a little technical things. That was it. Okay, anybody know that from those two notes? Anybody know what that was? <laughs> Right now for the rest of the week, that song will be going through your mind, and that's my whole goal, is you know, to leave those little seeds in there. Um, but the Beatles, in that great song, All You Need Is Love, put forth a proposition to say, is, is that really all we need? Is that the most important thing in all of the world? And if it is, is it all we need? Well, today what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the scripture that comes out um, from John as he's writing, and the answer, I'll give you a clue, is no, it's not quite all we need, but when we truly understand and look for love in the right source, it can become all we really need. And hopefully that'll make sense as we begin to, to walk through this. But the passage of scripture that we read um, prior to the message in Galatians is a contrast between the things of the spirit and the things of the world, the things of the flesh. And what, um, what Paul does in writing to the church at Galatia is he wants us to see the difference. He wants to pull back the curtain so that you and I begin to examine and look at life um, from a perspective of what truly is going on, not just on the surface, but what happens in our hearts and in our life. John does something very, very similar, although he compresses those down to three things that are in contrast. And... The three things of the world he puts together in the focus of our verses here in verse, um, chapter 2, verse 16. But the things that are of the Lord are spread all through this little letter. And, and here's what they are. Here's the, here's the things that John says that we are to hang on to if we're to live in step with the Spirit, if we're going to have the things that God wants for us. The, the first thing he gives us in the very beginning, in, in the first a couple of verses of First John is he reminds us of uh, life. He says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What John is saying is that life for you and I, eternal life, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing for us to grab a hold of. And John's saying, if you want life, that's where you have to look for it. And not just existence. When he's speaking about life, the words that he uses in the original language means a fullness. If you're looking for a life that has significance, that has meaning, that is, that where you'll be able to, to reach the end of your days and look back and see how incredibly good life was, that life is found in Jesus. So that's the first one. Then in verse 5 of chapter 1, he says this, this is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We've already looked at that to some degree. But he, again, he's, he's bringing a contrast here that he's going to unpack the other side in chapter 2. When he refers to light, it is, it is in some ways both the, the physical creation that God has made of light 
But even more, it is a, an illustration of what we find in God. The light refers to all truth, all wisdom, all understanding, and all beauty. You see, without light, there is no beauty. In our world, nothing would be beautiful without light. All of those, wisdom, truth, beauty, understanding, flow from the person of Jesus Christ. So again, if we want that in our life, we have to look to him. And then the third one that he gives us, he talks about life, he talks about light, and he talks about love. Chapter 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you want truly a relationship that is meaningful, that is filled with um, that which connects your heart together with another person, it is found in Jesus Christ. Because, you see, all love ultimately flows out of the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So those three things are the things of the Spirit that God is offering to you and I. An intimate relationship with Him, wisdom and beauty and understanding and truth, and a life that is filled with significance and goes for eternity. That's what He's offering us. Now, when we come into chapter 2, where we're going we're gonna to focus here in verses 15 through 17 today, we see a contrast. Let me read it to you, verses 15 and, and through 17. Do not love the world or the things of, in the world. Anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and he gives three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those are in contrast to the life, the light, and the love that God offers us. Now, we need to see that and allow and ask the Holy Spirit today to pull back the veil over our own hearts and own minds and to allow us to see what it is we are truly living for. Are we living for life and light and love that comes from God? Or am I living for myself in a way where truly the pursuit of my life is, de is defined by the desires of my flesh, of my body, the desires of my eyes, and the pride of my life. One of those two is driving you, is in control of your life today. One of them will lead to joy and fulfillment, and the other will lead to emptiness. Well, let's take a look at this. And, and what John does, first of all, in verse 15, as he reminds us that love is a choice. Um, you cannot hold on to the love of God and the love of the world at the same time. This is what he says. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You've got two choices. You can love God or you can love all the stuff that's of the world. You can pursue God and find fulfillment in him and he will bless you in ways that you don't imagine 
Or you can pursue selfishly your own pursuit and try to get all the things that the world tells us are significant and important. Now, I was trying to think of a way to, to illustrate that this week, and I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to try it anyway. My props have failed many times before, so today may be no different. But I have, um, I've, I drafted a couple volunteers who hopefully didn't leave after I drafted them. And so, um, Alizar and Martina, if you'll come down here, I need, to, I need your assistance uh, today. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Huh? Ooh, oh. All right. Now, Martina, if you, if you want to have a seat over here for just a moment, because you're, you're coming next. Alizar, the man, represents each and every one of us, okay? I picked a good choice, didn't I? I mean, he works. He works. I, on the other hand, represent the world. Or if you want, Satan. Okay, so there we go. So we see the contrast already, right, right from the beginning. And here's the deal. Okay, Alizar, um, I want to tempt you. Okay. Quite, quite, quite literally, because I want to fill your life with all the things that you think you desire. So, so what I want you to do is your life is represented by your hands. Okay, so I want you to put your hands right here over, over this, and I want to begin to fill your life. I want you to think about, and I want you guys to think about, what are the things that tempt you? The appetites. It might be sex. It might be food. It might be comfort. It might be pleasure. There you go. Put them together. You've got to hold all the world you can hold, man. Okay, so this is, this is the world. I'm putting some of the pleasures of life into Alazar's hands, and I want him to hold on to them because that's what I'm tempting him with, Okay. How's it going so far? I think I'm handling pretty well so far. Pretty well. Okay, this is good. All right. Well, not only do I want to tempt you with, with the appetites, with whatever it is that you might really desire, I want to tempt you with envy, with the desires of the eyes. I want to fill your life with stuff, with all the glitter that everyone else has, a great car. Um, what's your favorite kind of car? <laughs> My uh, favorite car is... A golf. A golf. Okay, a VW Golf. Yes. yes very, very nice. I would have, I would have went for something a little sportier, but a golf is awesome. No, 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 no. BMW Golf. Oh, a BMW. Yes. Okay, I'm with you now. All right, all right. So, so now you have your BMW. You have worked hard. You have received the reward of the world, and you're driving that BMW, and it is sweet, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's this beautiful color of blue. I don't know what color you <laughs> yeah, wanted, but whatever. Blue. Okay, it's blue. Excellent. All right. Now, of course, you've been... <laughs> Thank you. You've been driving it for a little while, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but, but it's kind of getting a little dirty, especially on the inside. You know, okay. you really shouldn't stop at McDonald's and leave all the stuff in there. <laughs> it's just not... It's beginning to, to fade a little bit, but okay. you've got it, okay? okay? That's good. You're doing really good. All right. But not only do I want to tempt you with the glitter and the things of the, of the, that appeal to your eyes, don't lose it, man. Okay, don't okay. lose it. I want to tempt you with the pride of life. Because you see, this makes us compare ourselves to one another. But this one, the pride of life, this means that everything in life is about me. Everything I just, what, you're not holding on to it very well. <laughs> It just seems to be, to be fading very, very quickly. 
All right, but that, all right, here's the deal. Whether we can see it, we, we all leak. I don't know if you knew that or not. Whether we can see it or not, this is what the enemy is trying to do to you and I. This is what the message of the world says. All this stuff, success, um, having nice things, being better than others in our, in our mind, that is what will bring happiness. But it won't. In the end, we find out it's no better and holding pieces of metal that have very little value, some rocks and some sand, because it's all going to pass away. But what, when you're holding on to all of this, if you were offered something greater? What if you were offered love? <laughs> so, Martina, would you, would you stand up for just, just a bit here? All right. So, would you rather have all this stuff, including the BMW, <laughs> and pride and success and meaning and a great career and all those things, would you rather have that or would you rather have oh, love? Be careful what you say. Yeah, yeah. Which, which one are you going to choose? Of course. Maybe. You're going to choose? Oh, yeah. all right. So, so, what do you have to do, though? Because in order to have her, you've, you've got to hold her hands. <laughs> All right, okay, so it is a good choice. Keep, keep, you got to take her hand, though. All right? Okay, now here's, here's the thing, though. This is a picture not only of their relationship, but more importantly, it's a picture of our relationship with God. You see, God can't fill hands that are already full. He can't fill your life with life and light and love when you're clinging to all the things of the world. And what happens, even, even if we're clinging to just some of those things, like if, I, if, if Alazar representing us is still holding on to a few of those things in his hands, it's going to affect his relationship with the one he loves. So holding your hands right now is nice, but... But if, you know, if he squeezes that, it, it's not, there's something between you. The same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Okay, does that make, does that kind of make sense, at least as an illustration? Okay. Mostly, I just wanted to find a way to get him up here, because some, can, uh, can I, can I, well, what, do you have anything you want to share? <laughs> no? <laughs> Nothing? You don't want to, you want to say what happened, yes, last week? Okay, what happened last week? <laughs> okay, something happened. We uh, got engaged. Woo! So, so you said, he asked you, and you said? I said yes. Oh, okay, very good. All right. Thank you very, very, very much. All right. See how dangerous it is to be a friend of Drew. You never know what's going to happen to you. All right. I, I, took, I took too much time doing that. But I hope you see the picture because it is true. God wants to offer us so much more. But love is a choice. And right now, in your heart, in your life, there are things that I'm praying the Holy Spirit will bring to light that you're holding on to, just like those stones or pieces of metal or sand 
that's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of what God has for you. You see, God gives us commands and he tells us not to pursue the things of the world because he has something greater and more beautiful in store for us, something that is far more meaningful. He wants to give us his light, his life, and his love. But what gets in the way is the things of the world and specifically the sin in our life. Now, in this scripture, um, sin is defined, the word that's used in the New Testament is an incredible word. And, and unfortunately, because we generally don't understand this word very well, many of us have only a partial view of what sin is. The word in the scripture, in the New Testament, most commonly used is hamartano. And it, and it means this. It means to miss the mark. It's like an arrow that is off target. And in missing the mark, you lose your share in the prize. That's the part that we often don't understand. It literally was used um, in archery and in other, other forms of, of accuracy. So to sin is to miss the mark, but not just to miss the mark, but because you've missed the mark, you lose the prize, or at least your share in the prize. And that's the beautiful part of it, because what God wants to do is restore you to the prize. Because, see, righteousness in a sense, is just the opposite. And it is a picture of who Jesus is because Jesus Christ is absolutely sinless. And so the next picture shows us a glimpse of Jesus in that Jesus, who is righteous, hit the mark on the target every single time. Every aspect of his life was perfect and he chose to willingly substitute himself for you and I. And guess what? We share his prize the eternal life, the love, the light, the joy that he offers is all found because of what he has done, what he has given us. Well, that's, that's an understanding of the, of the definition of sin. John goes on and gives us a little bit more of a functional definition here in this passage. He says that sin is an absence of love it's a self-consuming hatred. Sin is an absence of light. It leads to spiritual darkness. And sin is an absence of life because it leads to self-centered pride. Instead of having the very things God created for us to experience in a relationship and union with him, we pursue things that will not last and can never, ever satisfy. So he gives us a warning against um, false love. This is what the world around us continually communicates, that this is what you need to be satisfied. You need, to be, you need comfort, you need pleasure, you need success, you need um, to, be, to have incredible, um, you need to have fame or at least to be well thought of. Maybe it's a pursuit of the intellect. But all of these false loves are driven by selfish desires. That's what the, the scripture reveals. We are to not love the world because it's driven by selfish desires. We're also to not love the world, as we'll see in a moment, because the world is our enemy. Sin, specifically, is our enemy. 
And also, we're to not love the world because what it offers will not last. Nothing that you are working for so diligently right now will last. But the love of God endures forever. So the enemy brings these three um, strategies of sin against it. This is his battle plan against you. The things that he's trying to use to keep you from growing deeper into a relationship with God and living a life that glorifies him. The three strategies of sin are deceptions that we think will make us happy. And here John says they are the desires of the flesh, sins of appetites, um, the desires of the eyes, which represent sins of envy, and the pride of life, which represents sins of status or identity. And so the warning here is to understand that these things that are being presented by the, the world are false loves. It is helpful to understand that lust is a false love. We see especially in the way pornography permeates our culture. It, it is everywhere. And here in the Czech Republic where it is so um, prevalent, we understand that it is a huge catalyst to human trafficking because what it does is it takes what God designed to be love in a relationship that reflected his love as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and it twists it and to make another person a product to be consumed. And when we can really see what it is, we see the depth of its, not only of its evil, but of its self-centeredness. To make someone else a product that we want to consume is about as selfish as I can imagine, and yet the enemy is incredibly good at trying to lure us into his web. Lust is a false love. It is counterfeit where desires rule us rather than God having control of our desires and putting us in a position where those desires can be met and fulfilled in him and through him in other relationships. Lust takes what God has created and twists it into a self-indulgent passion. And it robs us of joy and real pleasure, the pleasure God intended for us to experience in an intimacy with him. That's why he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the point I want you to see. If, if you don't take anything else away with you today, is you can't hold on to both things at the same time. Just like in my little illustration, Alizar couldn't have held on to all that stuff, not that he wanted to, but he couldn't have held on to that and held Martina's hand. In the same way, we can't hold on to the things of this world and truly have an abiding, growing, joy-filled, intimate relationship with God at the same time. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and the love of money, stuff. Because in the end, you will serve one and you will hate the other. That's just the way it works in our lives. So here he's revealing this, and, and when he talks about the world, it, it literally means 
all of the systems of the world, everything that we see, what's portrayed around us that we uh, are confronted with, with which our minds think because of the advertising of the enemy will bring us satisfaction and meaning. But they do not reflect real love. In fact, they reflect a twistedness I've told you over and over again in this series that love is always other-focused. But what the enemy tries to do is to get us so focused on ourselves that everything else becomes a product for our own consumption instead of a joy to be able to love. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We need to understand that the mindset of the world will distract us. It will lead us to be focused too much on temporary things. The mindset of the world will deceive you. It will cause you to start asking over and over again, what about me? And and the question that follows that is, what do others think of me? And we become consumed with how we measure up in the eyes of others. And that is a dangerous place to be because you will never find fulfillment there. The mindset of the world ultimately will destroy you because it will lead you into sin and it will keep you prisoner longer than you want to stay and take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It's just the way it works. But God offers us life. The love of the world pushes out the love of the Father and we need to recognize if we're going to battle sin in our life, We have to first choose to love the Father and say, Lord, I want your love more than I want any any success, more than I want a career, more than I want comfort, more than I want stuff, more than I want anything. I want you. That's what it comes down to. Secondly, we need to not love the world because it is an indicator that sin is your enemy. It is the very enemy of your soul. I want to read just a few, a few words from a, a great article I, I found by Mark McNinn. It's entitled, Amazing Sin, How Deep We Are Bound. People think they obey the Ten Commandments more consistently than others. One polling expert noted, it is the great contradiction. The average person believes he is a better person than the average person. Think about it, because it's true. (laughs) 16 centuries earlier, Augustine bemoaned, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not judge myself to be a sinner. And the author goes on, and he makes it personal. He says, but when I look at myself honestly, I see my sin. I micromanage, consume more than my share of resources, harbor bitterness from past losses, I hoard my time and I resent others for intruding on it. I am vain and consumed with how others perceive me. I wrestle with my sexuality and have strayed away from Lisa, my wife, with my eyes and my heart. I have learned how to pretend to listen without really listening. I think more about being great than being good. I act more spiritual than I am. I am a mess broken in every way 
and my only hope is in God's mercy. The circumstances would be different, but I can tell you for me, that describes me very, very well. We all wrestle with that. But the great news is, is that when we take that to the Lord, when we take that to Jesus and we confess it and we call it what he calls it, he cleanses us and makes us brand new and draws us in. He allows us to have our hands be emptied so we can hold on to his love, his life, and his light more intently. But to do that, we need to see sin not as a weakness, but as our mortal enemy. It is seeking to destroy your life and keep you from what God has for you. The second reason that we are to avoid the things of the world is not only because sin is our enemy, but also because the world is passing away and all of its desires with it. You're not going to take any of the stuff you accumulate, any of the comforts. You're not going to take it with you. What we take is what we've already laid up uh, in heaven as treasure in our relationship with the Lord. Here's the beautiful part. I want you to listen to what it says next. He gives that warning. Don't do these things because they won't last. And then look what he says in verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We have a legacy that everything that we do that is connected to God, that's lived out in union with him, abides forever. It will never, ever, ever pass away. So the pursuit of, of, of chasing hard after God, after loving him and serving him and obeying him is eternal. It's not just temporary. It outlasts any possession we could ever hope for. I mean, think about it. Maybe there was, maybe it was an iPhone that you, you desired, you know, and, and you think, man, I can't wait till I get that particular model. And, and, it, and it lasts for a, well, it starts getting buggy after a couple of months. And then after that, you know, it begins, they come out with a new one. And, and you're just like, oh, man, I need that one. It doesn't last. You know, if, if I was to give you a brand new iPhone that had been kept sealed in, in, in its box from the original iPhone and I gave it to you now, you wouldn't be able to do anything with it because it doesn't work. It doesn't connect to the systems anymore. And that's the way of everything in the world. It does not last. But God does. So how do we battle that? Because understand that what all these things are ultimately are deceptions from the enemy trying to use um, that which cannot last to lure us away from living a life where our identity and our joy is found in God himself. I put in your, in your notes just some truths that, that I hope will help because the way to battle that is to battle the deception of the enemy because what he does is he fuels our insecurities um, with temptations of the things that will make me feel significant is if I have, uh, if I attain this. The things that will make me feel fulfilled is if I have these possessions. 
He tries to tempt us with things that can never satisfy, and we have to replace those lies. We have to reject those lies and replace them with truth, with who we are in Christ Jesus. And so maybe today you're really wrestling with an area of sin. Maybe you're wrestling with insecurity. Maybe you're just discouraged. Try to identify the lie that the enemy is seeking to use, using the strategy of the world with the desires of your flesh, the desires of your eyes, and the pride of life to keep you away from becoming the person that God created and saved you to be. What we have to do is we have to reject the lie. We have to renounce the lie that I am rejected, Yes, we're all sinful. But it is a lie to think that we are unloved. It is a lie to think that we are only our shame and only our guilt. Because when we come to Christ Jesus, we are accepted. You see, his prize, his righteousness gets applied to every person who puts their trust in him. And so we need to turn away from that lie that's seeking to define us and to to distract us into pursuing the things of the world instead of the things of God. And we have to renounce it. And in its place, live the truth of who God says you are. God says that I am his child. God says that I am his friend. God says in Romans 5, 1, I have been justified. I have been united with the Lord. I am one with him in spirit. These are the truths we need to live moment by moment in order to go deeper into the life, the light, and the love of God. Is base our life not on the messages and the advertising of the world, but the truth of the scripture. And so I've placed those truths in your sermon notes for you to, to go and look and And meditate on those. Think about those. Because this is who God says you are. In the same way, we need to renounce or reject the lie that I am empty, guilty, unprotected, alone, or abandoned. Because in Christ Jesus, I am secure. You are secure. When you know that truth, it sets you free to live a life that is able to truly love. When you're secure in the fact that you are God's child, it sets you free to be able to love others whether they respond well or not. Because you're not getting your worth based on how they respond. Your worth comes from who God says you are and you're already accepted and you could never do anything to be more accepted. God's truth says that we are free from condemnation in Romans 8, 1 and 2. In Romans 8, 28, we are assured that God works for his glory and for my eternal good in every circumstance. 2 Corinthians says that we have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. Nothing can touch you unless it goes through God's will first. Thirdly, we need to renounce the lie that we are worthless, inadequate, helpless, or hopeless because in Christ we are significant. 
And the reason why I'm emphasizing those lies is because that's the thing that the, the enemy is whispering in you, whether you rest into your mind, whether you recognize it or not, to try to lure you into the things of the world in order to help you um, or to entice you to fill that emptiness that you, where you feel worthless or inadequate or helpless He's trying to distract you into things that can never, ever satisfy instead of the life, light, and love of Jesus. Jesus' truth says that you have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit in John 15, 16. That you are the temple where God chooses to dwell. Isn't that amazing? God says, I want to live in you. Isn't that cool? Thank you. When you you allow that truth to sink in, it really is incredibly powerful. I am God's workmanship. I love that. I love that verse in Ephesians because the word is poema and it means masterpiece. It is so beautiful. When we see ourselves as God sees us, And when we let go of the deceptions of the world and say, God, I want your life, your light, and your love more than anything, these truths become part of who you are and enable you to live a life that not only accomplishes God's will, but does good for many, many others and shows the glory and greatness of our God. That's the life he wants for us. Do not love the things of the world, excuse me, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But if we love the Father, we abide forever. That's the promise that we're given here in these passages. When we come to um, what we call communion or the Lord's table, these are symbols in the bread and in the cup. They're symbols that represent the life that God wants to give you. The bread represents his body. It represents the truth that God was willing to give all of himself, his whole physical being was placed upon a cross in order to rescue you and rescue me. And so it shows the love of God in a beautiful way. And God designed it in his wisdom as something that each one of us would individually partake of. We would would taste it. Because this is a gift he wants to give to each and every person. He wants you to be filled with his life, with his light, with his love. And it's represented here in the bread. In the same way, the scripture tells us that Jesus took the cup that represents his blood. The truth is, because of sin, every one of us have, have not only missed the target, but we've spent a lot of our life not even trying to aim at it because that's what, the, that's what the enemy does. He wants to distract you from even trying to get close to what God has for you. But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if we missed the target by this much or by this much. We missed it. That's what sin is. And as a result, it robs us of the prize of a life that is filled with intimacy and union with God. 
But the great news is that Jesus poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins and to clothe you and I in his righteousness so we could share his prize. Eternal life and a union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and with one another. This is the picture of the Lord's Supper. And so today as we come, what I want to encourage you to do is to take Take a moment before you step down here and just ask the Lord to reveal, show me, show me, Lord, where I'm pursuing the world instead of pursuing you. Because I recognize that my love for things which are temporary is crowding out my love for you. And I want to change that. I want you to change that. That's really what he asks us to do, is to simply be willing to acknowledge what it is. That's what confession is. Ask for forgiveness and receive his grace. So spend some moments thinking about that, praying about that with the Lord, and then we invite you to come and enjoy, receive the Lord's victory. He has given you the bread of his life to fill you every moment, to give you absolutely everything you need. Everything that you need for life and godliness is found in Jesus Christ. When we taste of the bread, it is a reminder that he is the bread of life and he can fill you every desire that you truly have with what is absolutely good and perfect. And the cup is a reminder that he has embraced you as his own, adopted you as his daughter and as his son, so we eat and we drink at the Lord's table in celebration as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that on the um, night before he was betrayed and crucified, that Jesus took bread and he broke it and he blessed it. Father God, as we come together today, would you... Would you open our eyes? Would you pull back the curtain to see ourselves in our need without any excuses? And then, Lord, to be able to, to give the broken pieces of our life fully over to you and receive of your abundant living bread. Lord, thank you for this bread. Thank you, Lord Jesus that you willingly gave your life not only on the cross for us, but you continue to give life to us. As we partake of this bread, let us remember that you are the giver and sustainer of life. Let us give you praise. Would you bless not only these symbols of bread and cup, but would you bless each person here, I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cup that represents your pouring out of your life, of your love for us. Your blood was shed to cleanse us of sin and to clothe us in your righteousness so that we might become children of God. Lord, thank you for that amazing truth. Help us, Lord, to let go of the things that we spend so much energy pursuing, things that can never satisfy, 
Lord, help us to empty our hands so that we can hold on to you with all that we are today. And would you bless each person who comes to you today with a fresh sense of who they are in you and of the pleasure that you take in your sons and daughters. Well, we ask that you would do that in our midst this day. In Jesus' name.